This episode of Control Delete is brought to you by USAA. USAA is passionate about what they do, ensuring the financial security of the military community and their families. And as an employer, USAA creates conditions for employees to succeed. USAA is hiring for customer service reps, designers, developers, insurance, banking, and more. Visit them online and see over 200 jobs available. It's an organization that provides opportunities for you to collaborate, create, and lead. Find your purpose with USAA. Visit usaajobs.com and join the team. This episode of Control Athlete is brought to you by Toyota and their all-new 2017 Highlander. With its sleek, aggressive design, improved powertrain for better performance and fuel efficiency, plus advanced tech features the whole family will love, there's more to discover in the new 2017 Highlander. Visit toyota.com for details. Hello, and welcome to Control Alt Delete, the podcast that listens to you. That episode, or that sorry, that intro comes from Will White at Will White nine forty one on Twitter. I like that one. Yeah, it cracked me up when I saw it. It's it's it. it's different than the usual topical humor. But we love your intros. Keep sending them to us. Anyhow, I am Neil Patel, the editor in chief of the Verge, joined as always by my friend, uh, Verge executive editor, Recode editor at large, Walt Mossberg, the Walter Cation itself. How's himself itself? <laughs> I'm having a day, man. Yeah. How's it going, Walt? It's going great. I'm uh, as we were discussing before we went on the air. I'm in a fancy new podcasting studio. Yeah, s- uh, supplied by Vox Media. So those two audiophiles who didn't like the sound <laughs> in our some of our recent eps should be just quiet now yeah we, we look fox media has a lot of upgrades i'm in a new studio walt's in a new studio the transition was a little rocky but uh we're here now and we're connected i think directly by like a t1 line right which is ancient technology but it sounds i have to, it sounds great it does uh, and it actually replaces skype which we, you and i had been using to do this podcast for over a year, and yeah. and which is made by one of the gang of five tech oligopoly companies. Yeah, well, Microsoft. you went. You, you, this is your column this week. You, you talked right. about. I saw you had an interesting uh, little Twitter debate with Jason Calacanis right before yeah. we were coming on air here. But you spoke this week about something that we have been talking about. I'm sorry, you wrote this week about something that we have been talking about for ages on the show in one way or another, which is. So much of the tech industry now is is controlled by one platform or another, and they all have incentives to fully roll you into their ecosystem. And they all compete with each other on every level, as you mentioned in your column. But it means that new innovation is beholden to the dynamics of platforms and platform vendors that don't necessarily – have, you know the platforms aren't necessarily completely open in, in in many ways, or they're competing with you in some way, or their fierce competition with another platform vendor means, you know, it's harder for your product to get up. There, there've been just a million little barriers to innovation created by the fact that there are five big companies that basically control everything. Yep, and, and the five are uh, Apple, Google, Amazon, Facebook, and Microsoft. This derived from a comment. Actually, the little discussion we had on stage at one of our D conferences with Eric Schmidt, the executive chairman of Google at the time now of my, of Alphabet, and uh, he called it the Gang of Four, but did not mention Microsoft. Stephen Sanofsky, who was uh, running Windows at the time, came came on stage at the conference the next morning and and uh, made some sardonic remark about how anything called the Gang of 
before doesn't <laughs> end well. That was a reference to a, a sort of attempted coup or treason in ch- communist China back in the day in the 70s where a bunch of people were put on trial, big show trials, and they were called the Gang of Four. So I did make those points you, you uh, listed, but I also made uh, what I think is a really important point, which is that, you know, there's a legend in Silicon Valley, and it has been true in a number of cases, including almost all these uh, Gang of Five, uh, except it wasn't all in Silicon Valley. Microsoft was not in Silicon Valley, but the idea was, you know, you you, you concoct an idea in a dorm room, I guess, like, Facebook, that was in Cambridge, actually, uh, or a garage, Apple, of course, Hewlett-Packard. but uh, and, and you can then take that idea, if it's good enough, and you manage it well enough, and you get some funding, you can take that all the way to being a big, great company. And they all did. But what I was saying is, I think it's actually less true now than it might have been because... These guys snap up uh, any kind of decent startup, often before it can even bring out a product or very shortly thereafter. And it's I just wouldn't be surprised if there are lots of people in dorms and garages thinking up ideas with the hope, not with the hope that they'll change the world, but with the hope that they'll get bought by somebody in the Gang of Five. So, for instance, Siri is a good example. I don't think they planned this, but, you know, Siri was, I thought, the first really good voice-controlled, you know, sort of proto-AI personal assistant. And they were an independent company. Lots of people have no idea that they were an independent company. I'm not sure they had very much funding, but they had enough they kind of grew out of the Stanford Research Institute, just partly why it's called Siri, and they they launched it in uh, among other places at, at at the D conference, and they were an app on the Apple App Store, not owned by Apple, but just on the Apple App Store, and within a matter of months, Apple snapped them up, and some people say actually mismanaged it and did way too little with it and all of that, but uh, it's a good example of something that. You know, you could imagine a reasonable case in which that could have been a big deal, but uh, and it is a big deal, but it's a big deal as part of Apple's ecosystem, as part of Apple's hardware devices, and it's not a big deal in and of itself, and it might have gone in a whole different direction. Uh, the uh, One final irony about that is that they left Apple, uh, the founders, eventually feeling that it had not been developed enough inside Apple, and they started a company called Viv, yep. which was to be an independent, sort of a white label, you know, company that did a much more robust version of what Siri does. And I, I mean, I had a demo of it. You may have had a demo of it. It was very impressive. And they sold it to Samsung, <laughs> uh, which, which is is even worse than if they sold it to one of the. The big platform companies, because Samsung is a wannabe platform company that never quite pulls it off. Right. And uh, well, they will so. put it in front. Of, they sell a lot of phones, but I, that actually gets to to me what the underlying dynamic of your your column in this criticism is, which is once upon a time, you could start a company in a garage, and <clears throat> you would obviously have to fight through some kind of distribution battle, right? 
Apple had to fight through. They had to put computers in stores somehow. Yeah. And that wasn't a huge market, but they could and they did. Microsoft had to convince basically hoodwink IBM into hoodwink letting is the right do yeah. MS-DOS. So they had to fight through that. When they didn't have a, a, an operating system, they could run out and get one. Sure. Um, <laughs> so, right. So there were these challenges in like yeah. addressing your market. <laughs> but right now what you have is a Siri or Viv is a good example. To address the market, you have to go through a, a pretty significant gatekeeper. To get an app on the App Store and charge people money for it, you have to pay Apple 30% of whatever you charge. Um, and you know, surely you are given some service in return. I'm sure people will complain. But it, I don't think that service is as high value as Apple thinks it is. Um, you have to do promotion, which is hard to do. You might have to pay Apple for ads and search against the App Store. That's basically it in terms of what you can do to promote yourself in that store right. you can you know send us emails and try to get a story written uh, you can and get you get on stage at d you yeah know. there's there's this thing but the only method of distribution is in that store and apple google does this with android too to a slightly lesser extent but apple restricts the things your app can do on their platform, for better or worse, right? There, there's pros and cons. The iPhone is far more secure because of Apple's restrictions. But at the same time, um, if you write the next great email app, you cannot be the default email app on the iPhone. That's, that's correct. is a restriction. That's correct. And, if, and in the case of both Google and Apple, and actually, uh, we, I think we've talked about this, I think uh, Windows and Mac are moving to a store model uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see an exclusive store model there. I don't think it's the right thing to do on those platforms, right. but you know, I wouldn't be surprised. But it, both Google and Apple, even though they have a somewhat different view, do have rules, mm -hmm. and they are solely in charge of deciding what rules, are, what the rules are, whether they'll change them, how they'll change them, when they'll change them. So if your fate is tied to those stores, you have no control over the conditions uh, that are that are surrounding you uh, in the in your distribution channel. Right, and so just to bring that comparison all the way back around, when Apple was selling the Apple II, if it didn't like what Computer Warehouse was offering it as a distribution deal, they could go to Computer Discount Warehouse, which actually was a store. CDW was a store in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, and get a different deal from them, right? And still right. market to consumers. They could, you don't like what Office Depot is giving you, you can go to Office Max. You didn't like what Best Buy is giving you, you can go to Circuit City. So the the amount of leverage they had in negotiating their distribution deals was different as they went to address the customer. Now, if you want to put an app on iOS devices, there is but one distribution method. And that offers Apple an extraordinary amount of control. It also means the incentive to sell your company to a platform vendor is multiples higher than it would be if you were just trying to build a traditional software business. And I think that's really the first part of your criticism. So many of these things are getting consumed by big companies and then sort of fizzling out because I think we've, we all know that selling it's great. You can make a lot of money. You sell your company to another big company or your investors are happy. You're rich. You buy a boat. It's all great. Um, <laughs> but the but not the boat you ride to work. It's yeah, a different boat. It's a different boat. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you buy a ferry service. Um, <laughs> but uh, your 
sort of existential impulse to improve your product and be hyper competitive within the corporate machine, you know, it just tends to fit. We, we've but look, seen it's, it all it's over even the place. true of hardware. Yeah, it's not only software; it's even true of hardware. I mean, it's you know, it's Nest being bought by um, Google, uh, now Alphabet. It's um, I'm sure there's an yeah. Apple. What is Nest? I mean, Nest. Yeah. Nest could have put out 50 products in the past year and a half, and they, they haven't done anything, right? Yeah. I mean, I, there, there's something really meaningful there. Yeah. No, that's right. That's absolutely right. And, uh, and now the latest thing is they're going to make cheaper versions of the products <laughs> they already have. Uh, and, you know, Beats headphones, yeah. which were very profitable. Um, people had different, you know, audio files always like to argue about and sort of video files about what uh, what's the best, what's the worst, what's you know, but they were successful and uh, Apple bought them and they also bought a, a streaming music service which they then used to build into Apple Music. Um, uh, but you know they own a they own a headphone company that is uh, I never forget when when they bought it they kept stressing it's accretive it's accretive meaning it's profitable so it'll yeah. immediately bolster our profits by an amount that you won't be able to notice but and and was good profit for beats as a standalone company very handsome profit but just if you put it into a company with the biggest profits and the biggest revenues and the biggest market cap it's a little hard to find so um yeah uh it's so it's software you're, you're right about software but i'm i'm saying these these are these are such big forces in consumer tech, and I and I have to say consumer tech because it's a somewhat different story in enterprise, probably similar but with different names, and I just don't know enough about it. Uh, I've never pretended to be a, a, an expert on enterprise tech, but in consumer tech, these things are so big that they're like uh, black holes uh, or death stars, or <laughs> whatever analogy, space analogy you want to make. I mean, you know, their gravitational pull is, fan, is phenomenal. You know, Snap is a, is a good example, right? Snap is is kind of the, the at first glance you say Snap is a counter trend because Snap turned down three billion dollars to be uh, acquired by one of the gang members, which is was in this case Facebook. That was back in I think 2013. And they wanted to strike out on their own, and they have struck out on their own, and they just IPO'd uh, last week, and so they made it all the way to the end of the romantic story. I mean, their prices dropped and all that kind of stuff, and I don't who knows where it'll settle out. But, but if you read their 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 pre-IPO filings, what's it called, an S one, and yeah. some of that other stuff, they made the point that they are totally dependent on Google Cloud services. Now, they could have said Amazon cloud services, but they don't happen to be on Amazon. They happen to be on Google, and they have a long-term contract. I think it's like a five-year deal yeah. or something. And so Google it, stands to make more from Snap over the next five years than Snap projects that it will make itself, which is fascinating. That is fascinating. And, and so if Google uh, cloud services begin to suck, begin to be unreliable, that really hurts Snap. If Google decides to charge more, I don't know if the contract allows this, but theoretically at least, if you're dependent on somebody's cloud services or any other services and they raise the price or change the rules or something, that all affects you. In addition, although I don't know if it was in the in the S1, we, you and I both know that you can't use Snap 
Snap is designed to use the camera on a smartphone. And the smartphones that you would use Snap on run Android or iOS. So those are also, <laughs> you know, gang members, Google and Apple. So yeah. the cloud part, the back end part, depends on the gang. Here's a company that didn't want to be absorbed by the gang and went all the way to IPO. And nevertheless, their back end depends on the gang and their consumer facing piece depends on the gang. I think it's in the case of Snap in particular, Snap says, we're a camera company. And yeah. they, they do, in fact, make uh, one camera. They do. The spectacles. That right. camera necessarily has to pair with iOS or Android. Right. Uh, and then Absolutely. The photos from that camera have to travel through iOS or Android to you know the Snapchat service through Snapchat, the app. Um, but the main camera that Snapchat customers use is the one built into their phones. Uh, which, by and large, uh, it, this is in their S1 too. By and large, Snapchat prioritizes iOS development because that's right. where the most of their customers are. They actually say, we've got to get better at Android because if Apple screws with us, we need to go somewhere else. Or if you know customer preference moves to Android, we're not ready. They just say that out loud in the S1. But in this moment, they have prioritized iOS because that's where their customers are. And that means Snap the world's newest, most interesting camera company does not actually manufacture its camera, right? Apple manufactures the actual camera that the camera company uses. And I think that is just such a, it speaks something to something very profound. Snap Inc. could put out a camera, but it would be worthless. They could put out a phone. I don't think they could get anybody to buy a Snapchat phone. Just yeah. as when Facebook put out a phone, they couldn't get anybody about a Facebook phone. So they are wholly dependent on this device, uh, which is a very good device. I think we all agree. iPhone's a great device. Great device. Um, but their entire business is, you know, if Apple changes the rules of the App Store such that Snap can't sell advertising in its app the way it wants or, to. Or, or suppose Apple screws up the camera on yeah. the next one. Uh, I mean, so far, every I'm pretty sure every iPhone has had a better camera in some way than the last iPhone, sometimes the... No, let's say Apple decides to add ephemeral photo messaging to iOS, right? Yeah. It just... To, to I see don't know. you later, Snapchat. Like, if, if only I knew a lapsed patent lawyer, I might have some <laughs> idea about whether... Well, <laughs> it's certainly not stopping Facebook. <laughs> yeah. If it's not stopping Facebook, I guess it wouldn't stop Apple. Yeah, I mean, I, Facebook yeah. is... No, and that's, and that's another... Was another section of my column that... Yeah. That if they can't buy them, so they tax them in some way, as we, we just discussed... Uh, the other thing they can do is simply lift their basic product idea as a feature in the platform somewhere. So that, and, so I think that is actually great and healthy. As I was reading, you know, the listeners all know I edit Walt's piece. So I was, I was editing Walt's piece last night. We're talking back and forth. The listeners should know we do this <laughs> editing simultaneously, yeah, and we argue great. during it. Yeah, wholly it's, it's dependent like a, on Google Docs. I have it's to like the Control Alt Delete <laughs> rehearsal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In text, we 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 type to each other in front of the column every night. Um, but I, that actually, I think, is good. I think it's good for Snapchat, for Snapchat customers, that Facebook is just lifting ideas left and right and copying them in Instagram. That means Snapchat has to go faster. So th there's an element to this competition that is good. I think it's good that Amazon Web Services feels the pressure of Snapchat having chosen Google. It's good. Google is actually having a cloud conference today. Dieter is there. There's a mention of Dieter. Um, 
you know, Sundar Pichai is on stage today at Google's cloud conference, uh, cloud services conference. So far, he reports that it's very boring. But Google's saying things like, we can now do machine learning and recognize objects and videos on YouTube. That's terrifying, but it means that Amazon is going to have to push farther in its efforts, and Microsoft with Azure is going to have to push farther in its efforts. I think that stuff is good, where they are actually competing and trying to attract Oh, they compete, but they also also cooperate a lot. It's kind of co-opetition. Yeah. iOS and Android is really interesting, as I don't think is as much of a choice as you suggested when you said well, Snap needs to get better at Android because what if Apple does something that hurts them somehow or its customers want to be uh, on Android? I don't. I think very few companies are all on one or all on the other. Some start on iOS. I think that's reasonably common because iOS users are reputed to spend more money or, you know, more heavily engage in some kinds of activities some kind use some kinds of apps Uh, android users of course there are many more of them so there may be some companies that start on android because they just want a to address a bigger audience but eventually almost every app i know of winds up on both platforms and so the idea that there's a competition for developers Mm -hmm. uh, is a little bit false. There's a competition for developers to showcase maybe on one or the other or to emphasize one or the other or to start on one or the other, but they're all on those two things. Right. Well, I mean, there are some iOS specific... I mean, iOS is a... It's a more profitable market for an app developer, right? Right. iOS users tend to spend more money on apps. And so if you want to charge money for your app, you are better off targeting the iOS population. But that is not like Apple offering you more, right? It's just the nature of the two markets. So I, I think, but that to me is the, it's the, we've also talked a lot on the show about the App Store, about how Apple's trying to reboot it, about how developers are unhappy with it. The Mac App Store, in the last episode, we talked a bit about it as we talked about the future of the, the laptop where it could go, the fact that developers don't like using the Mac App Store, all of that comes down to there is a lot of control imposed by one company in this one area. And you can look all over the internet and find all kinds of other examples of similar control by one of these five companies. In a way that, Walt, as I was reading your piece last night and again before the show just to prepare – it seems like what you're saying is this is you different. You prepared than, for this? Yeah, you know, I, I, put, <laughs> I put 30, 40 seconds into it. Um, it was a, it was a, it was a good skim. That's what I like to think. All of. right, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's all we poor authors can hope for. Yeah, is a good just a skim. good, a good healthy skim. Uh, <laughs> but it just struck me that what you're getting at is this is different than before. Right? Yeah. It's it it's not like it. There, it's not always been a gang of five. I have some old columns here that you've written about Microsoft that we'll get to eventually. But what you're saying is this is a new and potentially more dangerous situation for the industry than before. Well, I don't know if it's more dangerous, but I, but I mean, I think, you know, somebody said to me, well, isn't it better that we now have five when 20 years ago or 25 years ago, whenever it was, really there was only one platform where you could make money. Yes, there was 
uh, Linux and there was Mac, but there was really only one platform, Windows, where where you could, as an app developer, uh, make money. And 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 even if you had uh, a hardware accessory, it, you basically had to make it tailor it to Windows PCs as opposed to Macs. Right. And that's true. So I don't know which is. I mean, is it better to have five? Yeah, probably in certain vectors. But I. But but I think these five combined are uh, more powerful than than Microsoft was, and I mean, of course, Microsoft is one of them. And the thing that I that I think people don't even even smart tech people who are, don't happen to be on the business side of of this don't fully appreciate. And I actually. Uh, I sort of knew this, but I didn't fully appreciate it until I started researching the column. Wikipedia actually has um, separate articles on each of these uh, on each of these companies and what their acquisitions have been over the years, and it's staggering. And they don't even know all of them. And you know, it's Wikipedia, so it's probably mostly right, but not necessarily, you know, totally comprehensive. Th- these companies regularly scoop up startups, many of them at very early stages, many of them that you've never even heard of, sometimes for engineering talent, sometimes for patents. Like they're all buying AI and AR yeah. and VR companies now that you never heard of. And you never heard of them because they never had a, you know, they, they, they never had a chance to become, you know, whatever they wanted to be. Now, some of that is their fault because they may have just wanted the money and let's get out or they may have felt like well we can leverage our what we want to do much better inside uh you know google but you know just uh, to to list some of the very famous ones that we know google bought didn't invent bought youtube mm-hmm. bought android bought we already talked about this but bought nest and bought a thing called double click which is the heart, it's not the only piece, but it's the heart of their dominance in, in uh, online advertising. Uh, Microsoft bought Skype. Nokia didn't work out very well. <laughs> and, and recently... <laughs> Nokia is like the example or the, the, the exception that proves the rule. Yeah, here. it probably is. Uh, although they're, they're, they're back, under, or, or yeah. at least their name is back. I don't know. And uh, Microsoft recently bought LinkedIn. Yeah, uh, my favorite social network. And uh, <laughs> well, I'd like to extend this opportunity to connect with you. Yeah, thank you, Eli. And I will endorse you as a podcaster. <laughs> uh, Amazon, you want you like yeah. shoes? Zappos. Yeah, they bought that. You're you're a gamer. Twitch. Twitch. Yeah, they bought that. Which, by the way, is a is an example of two of these things. Not only did Amazon buy them rather than invent them, but now. <laughs> Now they are essentially building a Twitter clone, uh, as we reported. Yeah, uh, and they bought Audible, uh, which was uh, actually a I thought a somewhat successful uh, audiobook company. Uh, but if you're Amazon and you and you make Kindles and you're all into eBooks. You'd really rather wrap up that loose end. <laughs> so you know the eBook thing. It's another great example, and it's. I don't think it's possible to launch a great ebook reader that's competitive with the Kindle. There have been many attempts to do so. I think right. the Kobo is probably the most 
it's the one that comes most immediately to mind. It's the most successful thing that isn't a Kindle out there. Well, the Nook is the Nook. Well, the Nook know. was a disaster. I think it's gone. It might have zombied its way back to life. But it's not. I, st- I was walked into a Barnes and Noble recently, and there was still a Nook display. So. I think they they turned them into tablets all the way, and then they shut down the line. And now I think there's just like a Nook ebook reader, right? They they, they definitely they definitely had. They had a ratchet. I own yeah. a Nook HD tablet, which I have to tell you, one of the stupidest things I've ever bought in my entire life. Why did I buy this thing? But I have it. I'm a little annoyed that you said that because it robbed me of the chance to say it. <laughs> you have one too. <laughs> no, I wanted to say you were an idiot for uh, buying it. Well, <clears throat> I think the audience all agrees with you. Uh, but anyway, but they, I think they ratcheted it all the way up to like making these tablets with apps and what have you. Yeah. And they ratcheted it all the way down. But no, the, the nobody... Kindle is a good example where the, the it's very hard to sell ebooks in the world and compete with Amazon and Amazon doesn't let anybody else build ebook hardware. So if you want an ebook reader, you should buy a Kindle and you'll be happy. Amazon makes good right. devices. And the other, the probably I'm guessing, I don't have the figures in front of me, but probably the biggest alternative is people who read books on iPads right. using you now. And, and of course that's not maybe the primary reason they have the iPad. The iPad is a, is a, computer as we discussed yeah. last, last week <laughs> the ipad is a computer but and apple makes its own ebook reading app but the fact is that i'll bet that almost everybody who uses an ipad to read ebooks is using the kindle app right and apple in its effort and there are many ways to interpret and feel about the department of justice going after apple and book yeah, publishers but the simplest way is Apple and the publishers were so eager to attack Amazon's dominance of the industry that they were led down the path of potentially doing something illegal, right? And whether or not you believe the thing they did rises to the level of illegality or whether or not you think that they did do something illegal and it shouldn't have been illegal because it's stupid – for that, whatever you think of it, that they got far enough down the path where the Department of Justice said, hey – we're gonna we're gonna come after you, because Amazon was so dominant, right? They were, they were, they were incentivized to push the boundary of, of what what is right, right and wrong in the market. And that's just really to, interesting to me. It is. And just to wrap up this acquisition thing, yeah. <clears throat> the last one is Apple, and Apple typically doesn't do big deals, really big deals. And the irony, of course, is they have more money than any of these others, but they don't typically do big deals, and they don't. As I said earlier, they they don't even disclose probably half their acquisitions. In fact, they have a standard PR line that we've pr- printed 52 times over the years, which says, from time to time, Apple acquires small companies and we don't talk about it. Um, but just three of the big ones, we mentioned Siri, yep. we mentioned Beats, but what we didn't mention, which may be even more important than either of those two, is a company called PA Semi, uh, which was a, was and is a semiconductor design company, now a semiconductor design unit inside Apple, which has produced a system on chip products that are extremely impressive in terms of their speed, in terms of 
their power in terms of doing those things at the same time uh, as they use relatively little battery life. Um, it's kind of amazing. And, and, and there's some other silicon-related companies they've acquired also. And so they now have a powerhouse. I mean, you know, in addition to all the other things Apple is, which people can like or not like, uh, one of the things Apple is, it's probably one of the two or three premier uh, silicon design companies in the world. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Uh, and that's through an acquisition. So these guys get better and more powerful and, and you know, strengthen their e ecosystems through uh, voracious, continuous acquisitions. Yeah. And I think the PA Semi one is another, you can read it, you know, two ways. Maybe if they hadn't acquired them, PA Semi would have done great work and pushed Qualcomm all on their own and their fortunes would have been different. Or because they have Apple's money and this built-in market of billions of iOS devices, Qualcomm feels more pressure, right? And Samsung as a chip vendor feels more pressure. There's There's a lot of ways to read it. But the essential point is the surest path to big success now in this industry is to be acquired by one of these big five companies. It is not the way it used to be, which is the shortest path was to find a bunch of com customers and grow a huge business. And I, that does feel different to me. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that was, <clears throat> that was the point I wanted, I wanted to make here, or, the, or one of the key points. And, and what you described as the old path is still the sort of legend of tech. And, it, and they make movies about it. I mean, movies have been made about several of the Gang of Five following that path, you know, starting in a garage, starting in a dorm room, fighting a bunch of obstacles, and then becoming big deals. Yeah. And I think it's just harder and harder right now. And I, I personally think that is not good for consumers. So I've got a couple old columns here. It's interesting you could change some names and details, and they would be just as applicable to things today. Um, so here's one. Uh, this is August 2nd, 2001, Walton in the Wall Street Journal. Real consumer choice has been the early victim in Battle of the Titans. We could have just put that on your on your column today. I know, like straight ahead, I'm we could have so put that. Derivative. We could have put that right on it. But this is sixteen. No, this is two thousand. I swear to God, two thousand one. Is that when it was? Yeah, the the I have the ninety seven one as well. But this is the two thousand. I had forgotten it until like forty five minutes ago, or just before we went on the podcast. Like when you said to me, "Do you have any old Microsoft columns?" Yeah, and then I went looked and found it. So Microsoft used to be this the literally the monopoly vendor in computers. They were sued by the Clinton Justice Department. Uh, they, they, they lost. The Clinton Justice Department got as far – I remember this. This was a, on the cover of Time and Newsweek. The, the, the Justice Department, the DOJ's plan to break Microsoft up into two companies, one that would have made Windows as an operating system and one that would have made Office and other apps – and they called them like I think it was OSCO and AppsCo, and then Microsoft settled, and you know the rest is history. But that, that's how far it got, and it was decades in the yep. making. Um, and 
you know, people complained vociferously about Microsoft's monopoly position and what they did with that monopoly, including Walt. So here's this column from 2001. Uh, I'll just read the first line, and then there's a line here about bundling, which I think is interesting to talk about. So here's the first line. As we approach the release of another major version of Microsoft Windows, complaints are arising again about Microsoft's tendency to use Windows to give an edge to other products and services and to make things harder for its competitors. When you skipping ahead, when you install Windows XP, the new Windows Messenger instant messaging system is installed by default, and you are nagged to sign up to create an account with Passport, Microsoft's proprietary mm-hmm. password service. If you do, you are connected to Microsoft's proprietary MSN mis- instant messaging services, even if your friends and family are all on the more established AOL service. The right way for to do this would have been for Microsoft to ask XP customers during installation if they wanted built-in instant messaging. If they said yes, the program should then ask, which service do you want Windows to connect to and offer a choice of AOL, MSN, and Yahoo? This 16 years ago, what you are describing is what people now complain about with iMessage. It's the same thing, right? You sign up for a new iPhone, you push the buttons, and instead of connecting you to SMS or WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger or whatever, you're sort of just dropped into iMessage. And there you are, and Apple well, doesn't no, really ever it's ask It's called you. Messages. Messages. But messages. it's literally, in, you know, people are going to tell me Apple doesn't have Windows market share that it did in 2001 or whatever. <laughs> no, it but, doesn't. But it is the same behavior almost full stop. Yeah. I mean, you say people are complaining about it. I think a much wider swath of people were complaining about it with Microsoft yeah. than are complaining about it now. It's mostly tech journalists and – Anybody who wants to switch away from the iPhone. Lawyers that know about it. And, <laughs> and it mostly comes up when you want to switch to Android because it, it's difficult yeah. uh, to get your phone number out of the IMS. It can, it, it can be done and it does get done, but it's not easy uh, to get your phone number out. I predict to you that if Google's, uh, Google has so many messaging uh, apps, as, as uh, we've noted, <laughs> that, it's, that it's ludicrous. But if, <laughs> if this Allo app, which is essentially their copy of iMessage, um, were to ever take hold, I'll bet you'd have a very similar problem getting your phone number out of that. Yeah. But um, so I'm not defending Apple uh, for. I mean, I'm not saying Apple gives you fabulous choice, but you know, Apple does sell on the App Store. Uh, God knows how many um, other uh, uh, messaging products, and in fact, the success of many of these messaging products is because they're on the Apple App Store. Sure. And WhatsApp, WhatsApp is a runaway success. There's what no doubt Apple about it. doesn't do is it doesn't have a system in place for letting you pick the default uh, app to carry out a particular function, which is something that Windows – part of my complaint at the time was that Windows actually had that. That was always part of Windows and actually also part of the Mac OS where you could say, I want to read this PDF. Do I want to read it in, in uh, Adobe Reader or do I want to read it in Preview if it's a Mac or in something else uh, on, on Windows? And you tell it and then the next time it will remember and that's what it will by default open it up in. But you'll still have the opportunity on occasion to open up in the other one if you want to take another manual step. Well, sure. Let um, me, but- these uh, iPhones do not 
let you do that. Android phones do ask you, and iPhones don't ask you. And so that's, that's bad, bad behavior on Apple's part. This episode of Control Walt Delete is also brought to you by Vivint Smart Home. Not long ago, the term smart home simply meant a remote controlled home. But now there's a company that's worthy of the intelligence that the title smart home implies Vivint Smart Home. As the number one smart home provider in the United States, Vivint Smart Home is already used by more than a million customers and counting. With all the smart cameras you'll need from indoor, doorbell, and outdoor wireless security cameras to smart thermostats, locks, and voice-controlled Amazon Echo, you won't believe how many unexpected conveniences Vivint offers. Whether you're traveling or in the middle of a busy day, you can easily adjust your thermostat, lock, and unlock your doors, check the live feed of your cameras, all right from your phone on Vivint's 4.5-star rated app. Best of all, you get award-winning, around-the-clock professional security monitoring, which may help you qualify for a 15 to 20% discount on your homeowner's insurance premiums. And with Vivint's free customized smart home consultations and free professional installation, getting a smart home is simple and easy. With all the benefits that the Vivint smart home and security system offers, it's no wonder they are the number one smart home services provider in the United States. Go to vivint.com slash Walt to learn more. That's V-I-V-I-N-T dot com slash Walt. Here you are again in 2001. These are the last two lines of the 2001 column. Shouldn't every PC maker offer users a choice of several internet access providers during setup of the computer? Some used to do that, and it was better for consumers. But consumer choice seems to be the last thing on the minds of these companies today. They're more interested in treating consumers like sheep, herding them into whatever path is in the company's own interest. Again, we could have just fast-forwarded those lines Mm -hmm. 16 years later to your column today. And that's what fundamentally what we're talking about. There's, there's so every 16 years. Every 16 years. I need to speak out on this. Well, we can go back. So I have another one. This one <clears throat> is from 1997 now. Uh, Jeez, the, I am so old. The headline is, <laughs> Knowing the ABCs of the Antitrust Case Against Microsoft. Uh, like I said, the, the Antitrust Case Against Microsoft, if you are not familiar with it uh, or you don't remember it or you weren't alive for it, it's worth – like looking at again, uh, it was uh, well. How do you describe? It? I would say it was it. It changed the paradigm of the con- computer industry at that time. Yeah, it forced. I mean, Microsoft was barreling down a path and had been for a long time of saying, "Hey, we control the platform. That therefore we're going to put lots of pressure on a con- uh, computer OEMs uh, and consumers to." Um, uh, use the feature, the apps or features that we have for our platform that we make or that we favor, even if there are better or other popular choices out there. And the case didn't entirely eradicate that, as we are now uh, discussing, because some of it still exists today. But it did; it certainly slowed Microsoft down on that path. Yeah, and the the, the key element of the case was that Windows was a dominant operating system and Netscape put out Netscape Navigator, which is amazing to even say in 2017. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Navigator quickly became the dominant web browser. It was everywhere. They gave it away for free. If you follow that path all the way to the end, you end up, I would say, at Andreessen Horowitz because – Mark Andreessen yep. was part of Netscape, but whatever. That's like which is this a is now VC firm. It's a which very famous VC firm. Who don't know. 
Um, but you, you bring it back. And, and so a bunch of other veterans of Netscape. Are the all CEO of our company, Jim Bankoff, was once yes, the president of Netscape inside of AOL. This is a there true thing. So but that was after, after AOL bought them. Yeah, yeah. so this, this – this, this trail of destruction created many industries in its wake as thank a Netscape barrel towards failure. For it, yeah. But at the time, what happened was Microsoft owned the operating system and all the innovation looked like it was happening on the web and Netscape owned the web, right? They were the browser. So to compete with this, Microsoft released Internet Explorer, which you may have heard of, and they bundled it with Windows and they said – this is the default browser. So you had no users had no incentive to go install Netscape. And the Department of Justice said you can't do that. And Microsoft's argument was this isn't bundled. It's in it's an integral part of Windows. This is the That's next right. thing. So I have it here. Here's Walt 1997. The key issue in the case is whether Microsoft's Internet Explorer web browser is a quote unquote integrated feature of its Windows 95 operating system, as the company claims, or is a separate product that Microsoft is forcing on computer makers as a condition of selling Windows 95. To me, it's pretty plain that Internet Explorer is a separate product that has been quote unquote bundled with Windows 95 that is packaged together but not integrated into a single inextricable plot product. And then you've got just a great line here. If you buy Windows 95 in a store, the box touts Internet Explorer starter kit included free at $24.95 value. Inside are separate disks and manuals for Windows 95 and Internet Explorer starter kit. No integrated feature of Windows, no applet is treated this way. This is not this is bundling, not integration. It's like buying a bottle of shampoo with a <laughs> bottle of conditioner taped to it. The industry has learned from this. They, I bet they think about the shampoo and conditioner bottles taped <laughs> together because now they do a much better job of, quote, unquote, integrating products yeah. so that they can't be forced of tying them together. And there's examples of that. All these acquisitions that we've talked about are examples of how do we make sure you don't download some competitor's app? We'll just buy something similar and, quote, unquote, integrate it into our operating system or our service in some way. And I think that if you want to ask me what this, the, like I said, the Netscape story is rife. Kara wrote two books about AOL and Netscape. Over That's time. right. She did. Right. I mean, there's, there's just so much here. But if you ask me what is the single thing that you can point to in the industry now, it's companies have learned how to walk this line very, very carefully because they have this precedent in front of them. Yeah. I mean, here's a good example. And, and again, I'm not a lawyer. And you're not a lawyer anymore, so nobody should take this as legal advice. But you know, there's probably holes in this if you do if you look at it from a lawyer's point of view. But to me, just as a civilian, so Apple buys Beats, and let's set the hardware side uh, uh, part aside for a moment. And Beats made a music service, which I happen to give a good review to. I liked it, and but it didn't have. Uh, it didn't wasn't attracting much in the way of of, of users uh, in its efforts to compete with Spotify. Uh, Apple, which had resisted streaming music for a long time and was the king of all digital music through downloads, um, turned the Beats music service into Apple Music, which integrated you know iTunes and the downloads and the things you had with this new catalog of whatever it is 30 million songs that for a subscription you can stream that's nobody thinks of that as a separate product in uh, apple's various operating systems i mean it it it, it is uh 
it is music. It's got that same, you know, maybe a slightly different logo because they change it every once in a while, but it says music. That's music on the on the iPhone. Now, we can you can get Spotify on an iPhone and lots of people have and do, but um, it's just easier if you don't know about Spotify or you don't really care or if you are aware that the catalogs are essentially identical and they have a lot of the same features, just easier to use Apple Music. So that Beats acquisition allowed them to do that. Yeah. And, and you know, maybe Beats would have become another Spotify, another competitor. Or maybe it, it became one faster because it's integrated. And it's like you, you, Well, it doesn't exist anymore. Right. I mean, there is no Beats. It's Apple Music. Well, here you are in, in 1997 once again. You say, you're not accusing Microsoft of some evil scheme. I reject some of the wild claims I've seen on the web that assert Internet Explorer somehow disables Navigator. I run both on four different computers without incident. That's a real humble brag there, Walt, I got to say. Uh, I also, but you, and you go on to say, I also reject the argument that Microsoft shouldn't be able to integrate the, into the operating system functions that others sell as separate application programs. Such integration often helps consumers if it can be done without adding too much complexity. So th- that's like, that's the balance here, right? Like the, right. the platform should get more powerful. What I think we're both saying is they shouldn't do that at the expense of others' innovation because something Apple might do or Microsoft might do or Google might do in the future keeps them from allowing somebody else from doing it now. Or it, Facebook. Or yeah, fa- or all Facebook, of them. Yeah, yeah and, and so the purpose of the column this morning is to say, okay, we want to – upon a time before some people were even when some people were even children who read this once upon a time had microsoft and the government stepped in and everything we just said happened uh and now it doesn't look like the same thing because it's five of them but it's if you step back which i try to do all all the time in these columns twenty thousand feet and look there's 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 this gang of five it's super powerful in it throws a shadow over the consumer tech industry. And it's not that they do bad products. I even say in the column, I use these things daily or weekly, whatever. Um, I think I said weekly because I don't. It didn't, I was thinking of Skype and I was thinking of this podcast, which now we no longer use Skype for because <laughs> we have these great studios. But, um, but the but the fact is that, um, you know, I use most of these things daily uh, or things made by the gang of five and most of them i like they're good products um but um the concentration of power that is represented by the gang of five is something we need to keep an eye on and that we need to be aware has as you put it earlier has changed the story the legend the 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 mythos of of the valley and of consumer tech yeah i i it's just interesting that you have five gatekeepers, and they are truly gatekeepers to every company that starts. They're gatekeepers between you and, and your consumers, and the way that they have arranged their gates is such that if you decide you don't want to go through one, you might be actually locked out of that market entirely, whereas that's not the case for every company that's trying to go to market to consumers. Right. It's a thing. It's 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 a real thing. And, uh, have I? We've talked on this show about sort of lock-in fatigue before, right? Like mm-hmm. iMessage is one of them. Lauren Good wrote a whole piece about 
iMessage and how it's keep it's the last thing keeping her on the iPhone, which I think we both really liked. Um, there's lots of other places. And by the way, I I think iMessage is excellent. Yeah, iMessage is great, but and it's actually improving. But if you are trapped in by its network effects, there you go. Well, you might be bothered by it, but you might not. I might be bothered by it if Google Assistant really was great. And I said, geez, I really want to use Google Assistant, but um, all my friends are on iMessage. You know, that's the network effect. So far, I don't see a distinct advantage from anybody else. So I don't feel... I don't wake up feeling unhappy that I use iMessage. No, I, I don't think it's that. It's if you want to switch to Android. If I want to, if I'm done with yeah. the iPhone, I want to go but to I, Pixel. But there's okay. no, I can't yeah. address my iMessage network from the Google Pixel. You can't. That's correct. So, so that's a very powerful network effect. Another one. It's very similar, but it's not as big. But it's very similar, which I love. Is and both Apple and Google now has copied Apple and has a version of this in Google Photos, but it's it used to be called shared photo streams. I think we've mentioned it before on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called shared iCloud photo libraries because why use fewer words when you can use more? And um, but it's basically I can share photos with a in in a social network manner with likes and comments, but I can do it privately to only people I invite. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, that's how I see pictures of my two-year-old granddaughter. Uh, that's how pe- people in my family and circle of friends share their vacation photos or their wedding photos or their baby photos or you know whatever, whatever they have with limited groups right. of people and they, where they don't want to put it on Facebook. And that is another network effect because if I went to Google... Yes, I could say to everybody, hey, everybody, I've moved these photos. Fo- these photos are all in Google Photos, which they probably are anyway. And they have something just like this. So everybody get Google Photos. Yeah. Uh, now, that's not even requiring them to change to a different phone because you can get Google Photos on an iPhone. But they're not going to want to do that. Like yeah. it's right there. It's right in front of you. It's integrated. Boom. I mean, I, there's other ones. Uh, another one that springs to mind is when Google launched Google+. Plus. Suddenly, every Gmail user was like a Google Plus user, right? They, they, they forced this thing onto people, and people basically rejected it. Oh, that's a much worse example because, unlike the two Apple examples, yeah, people didn't like it. Yeah, people like these two <laughs> Apple things. Yeah. They may grumble about choice, or some subset of them may grumble about choice in some scenarios, particularly a um, switching to Android scenario. Yeah, but Google Plus, I. You know, I'm sure people will now tell us they love it. I'm but sure. Feel we free. Still, every time we write about Android, we publish it to the Verge's Google Plus page, which is still chugging along, and people there still give us try. And if we don't write about Android, <laughs> if do we, we put not? anything else there, they don't care. But if it's Android news, we post to the Google Plus page, and people. Oh, is that it. right? It's yeah. amazing. It's uh, one of those. Yeah. One of those little things that we've discovered. Like there are these examples everywhere, right? If you are in. Uh, if you are a heavy user of Microsoft Office, there are lots of incentives for you to use all the other Microsoft products like OneDrive and SharePoint and on and on and on and not anything else. Oh, right? well, it defaults. It's yeah. a, here's a perfect one. And this is even true in the Mac version of Office. So it doesn't, you know, here they're on somebody else's platform, but it doesn't matter because Office is, is its own kind of platform or a gateway into their, their platform. So the default... 
Somebody can correct me on this, but I'm pretty sure in the current versions of Office 365, the default place to save a file, the first thing that comes up is OneDrive, not some folder on your computer. Right. Now, you can still save it to a local folder on your computer, and they have even integrated some other things. I think Dropbox might be one. So you do have choices, but the default is OneDrive. Right. Maybe you can change that. And I'm sure as LinkedIn gets more and more integrated into Office, the way that, you know, the Office products give you data about other people will not be Facebook. It'll be LinkedIn, right? Like, it's just, you can just see how these integrations, they grow and grow and grow and grow. Until but, Neli, now LinkedIn has redesigned itself and it's cool. <laughs> it looks exactly like Facebook. It's so cool. <laughs> I went. I had to go there the other day, and I was so excited because I hadn't seen it since the redesign. Oh, and I'm God. like, "What redesign? It's real bad. Yeah, it's real bad. <laughs> but it does look almost exactly like Facebook. Anyway, so what's your prescription, Walt? What's what's the answer here? Uh well, the answer is that these things end. That so, that somebody I am I have personal confidence that I think is backed up by history that these things get disrupted. They sometimes get disrupted by other companies and, and other approaches, and they sometimes get disrupted by the government. And uh, I'm not certainly uh, – I explicitly said here I'm not accusing any of these people of doing, doing collusion or being illegal or you know, needing to be broken up by the government. But I'm just saying these things don't ever last forever. And I point out there is a long tradition of industries – American in American capitalism, there is a long tradition of industries being dominated by a handful of giants for long periods, and I give a couple of examples: the big three car makers, uh, or the three major broadcast TV networks. Mm-hmm. Those things were were true and were dominant for long periods of time, and now they're not. Now there are the Detroit car makers, but we have uh, not only m- many choices of cars from other countries, but those uh, foreign car companies have plants in the United States. This would have been unheard of. I used to cover the car industry as a young yeah. man, and I would have never imagined this. Broadcast networks, you and I talk about TV. We didn't do it this week, but many weeks we talk about TV. <laughs> so we know what's going on there. I mean, so these things change. And I can't tell you how, I can't tell you when, but I believe it will change. Yeah. There's something about this concentration of power that feels like they're going to miss the next big thing in some way, which is part of the reason they buy so much stuff. That's why Facebook bought Oculus, for example. That's another good example. Oculus could have turned into some other huge kind of company. And I happen to know for a fact that Oculus's original venture capital investors did not want to sell. They did not want that company to sell. Uh, but Facebook's offer was just too good, and their offer to help them get leverage to buy screen components and other things was was too um, what's the word? It was too enticing. Um, but Oculus could have been its own company. They, you know, they they had a bunch of money, they had a bunch of investors, but instead they're part of Facebook now, and they're that's just another example. But and they're and they're all working on AI, and they're all working on AR, and um, they're all buying companies you never heard of many times, as I said for the talent or the patents, sometimes for the product 
that you did never heard of because it didn't launch or it launched, but you never heard of it. And they're all trying to bulk up for what yeah. they think are the next things. But they, they're, you know, there's still only but five of them, uh, and they're not all going to make the right guesses. So that something else will happen, and I think that's it's worth it's worth banking on. In the meantime, I think the big questions around, particularly software distribution control, are going to come up over and over and over again, because if you can't talk to consumers without someone's permission, you're, someone's going to get mad and start complaining about it. And we'll just see how it goes. We will. And me, meanwhile, uh, I'm going to go to my Windows computer <laughs> and look up something in Google Yep. and then go to my iPhone and check Facebook. Hey, after this whole conversation last week about putting iOS in a laptop form factor, yeah. what we have mostly talked about today in a roundabout way is the fact that these traditional desktop operating systems allow far more freedom of choice than, right? I mean, you can go on a Mac and set the default email client. You can go yeah. on a Windows PC and... Look, if Apple were smart, they would let you... I mean, I don't think it would hurt them at, at all to change. Right, they make their money selling the phones. To <laughs> letting you change... The, uh, yeah. You know, I honestly think some of it is, is that they're control freaks and some of it is they are security freaks. And those that combination makes it what it is. That's very uh, true. But they've, if they took that away, that would take away a lot of your argument about choice. I'm making, a, I'm trying to make a broader argument here. I, I don't disagree with you, but you know, I think it'd be pretty easy for them to take that argument away from you. Yeah, we'll see. And I, I hope they do it someday. Anyway, we have very quickly run out of time. This was a fast show, in my opinion. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's well, a lot here. We can talk about it forever. But it's a it's a it's an incredible period in an incredible industry and uh, for our for our country for our world. So. Yeah, and these these giants, we said it once before, but this is unlike any previous time. These are much bigger companies with a much bigger role in the culture than any I think tech company has ever had. So. It's fascinating stuff. Anyhow, um, that's it for this week. There are all kinds of other podcasts to listen to. The Vergecast, if we get all of our ducks in a row, Dieter and I will not be hosting The Vergecast this week. We're going to turn it all over to the the women of The Verge, and a bunch of them are going to host The Vergecast tomorrow, which should be very interesting. Today, by the way, the day we're recording, uh, is the International Women's Day and a Day Without a Woman protest. Uh, if you should go look at the site. A bunch of our staff are out protesting, and they've written fantastic a- articles, including some by some of our um, women who are striking. Yep, uh, and who but who felt like they needed to write about it, and that's cool. Yeah, my little tiny contribution is I am wearing a tie. I wore a tie on CNBC today, <clears throat> which <clears throat> is the first time I've done that in many years. <laughs> And um, I, I did it because um, you're supposed to wear red in yeah. solidarity, and I didn't have anything red except a tie. There you go. I'm wearing so a red flannel shirt. I look like a lumberjack, but so, and a, a solidarity like, lumberjack. I, I look like a guy in a really bad old tie. <laughs> it's red. <laughs> there you go. But anyway, uh, the Vergecast tomorrow will be recorded tomorrow, but the Vergecast this week, if we again, we got to organize it all and make it happen, but... It won't be Dieter and me. It'll be a bunch of the women staffers of Verge. That would be very cool. Next week, the Vergecast will be live at South by Southwest. So if you're in Austin, you can come see Dieter and I do the Vergecast live on the 12th and the 14th uh, at the National Geographic 
thing, which is at Vulcan Gasworks. Um, I think they're rebranding it the Further Base. It's like a whole brand thing with National Geographic. But they got a stage where very graciously letting us record the Vergecast there. Kara Swisher is also going to do a live episode of Recode Decode. Peter Kafka is going to do a live episode of Recode Media. And Lauren Good, who we talked about on this show today, is going to do a live episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask. So all of that is going to be really cool. Uh, so if you're at South By, come check that out. Watch us live. We'd love to see you there. We'd love to take pictures of you. If you have a t-shirt, we'll do a selfie with you. It'd be great. <clears throat> And then you can listen. And to by a T-shirt, you mean one of our merch T-shirts. One of our merch T-shirts. You get, if you're wearing a, a Control Alt Delete T-shirt, you get all, you get all kinds of extra. But if you just have some stuff. random T-shirt, then I won't even pay attention to you. It's not even <laughs> right. you're, I, you don't exist. I just sorry. I just wanted to clarify. Oh yeah, no, the, this is a threat. It's not like a. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, but and you can listen to all those shows on iTunes as well. So go on iTunes, search for the Vergecast or Recode Media or Recode Decode or Too Embarrassed to Ask or whatever. Listen to it all, rate it, review it, tell somebody about it. We love that. You can tweet at Walt and me. Walt is at Walt Mossberg. I'm at Reckless. Again, we love, 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 love your intros. We love your comments on the show. Happy to talk to you. Again, Walt's been, Walt's column today, as always, got a lot of feedback. And I know he's been talking to people on Twitter about it. I have. So we, we, we love that. And we will see you next week. Thanks a lot, Walt. Thanks a lot, Neela. Thanks a lot, Neela.